As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. I don't see a countdown. <laughs> I don't have a you don't countdown. see a countdown? Oh, no. I saw a countdown. Did you? Okay. Well, uh, you're, uh, dear listeners, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. You Y'all are, did not see a countdown, just like Matt. You are dear I saw us. one. Okay. We, we're using a new uh, software recording platform here for, our, um, uh, for this intro, and so uh, we're just figuring it out. I saw a countdown right after I clicked record, so it was kind yeah. of exciting. Yep. Uh, welcome, friends, to this uh, episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It is mm-hmm. Fat Tuesday today, at least when we're releasing this. It's Fat Tuesday, which oh, is yes. the day before Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, you got any big plans for Lent this year? I haven't discerned uh, how I'm celebrating Lent, but I, I did just think that Fat Tuesday used to actually mean something when mm. when when uh, people celebrated some kind of fast or uh, discipline of disconsolation. Right. You know, when there was prayer and fasting and those kinds of things happening during Lent. And now a Fat Tuesday is just an uh, excuse to have a hangover Wednesday morning for most people. <laughs> right. You know, it's just... Right. The, it's not using up all the butter in your closet because you're not going to eat it during it, Lent. It's, it's not like, this will, it, be the last, yeah. this will be the last shot of tequila I take for 40 days. <laughs> That's not at all what's happening no. for most people. No, it's just like, oh, it's just a random Tuesday. I'm going to go party on um, Tuesday. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I'm the same, at least uh, by the uh, time that we're recording this, I uh, haven't discerned a fast. But if you, dear listener, have not mm. uh, discerned what you're doing for um, Lent, you can read our article. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, How to Fast for Lent. Yes. And uh, something Matt and I wrote up together. And uh, it is, um, uh, this is a weird little bit of gravity trivia, mm. but it's actually one of the most visited blog posts on our website year mm. after year. 
like we kind of update it every year and people, I guess, just are really interested in what it means to fast for Lent. So yeah. anyway, if you'd like some hints on what fasting is, what it's not, it's not dieting. Uh, it's not a way to be holy. Uh, uh, feel free to check out that that website. Yep. Uh, check, check out, out the link. blog post. Also, also stay around. <laughs> don't just don't just click on the show notes and leave. Yeah. Don't but, don't leave now. But uh, we're that's we're not talking, why you're here. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking to Amy Bird today, who wrote a book, "Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood." Uh, this is uh, we're going to be talking to a number of artists and uh, writers who are unpacking their experience in con- inside of a sort of conservative evangelical uh, gender role world and how they're mm-hmm. reckoning with that. Um, we have a couple more yeah. interviews scheduled for later this year, but uh, Amy Bird talks a little bit about um, her. She kind of was, grew up in a sort of purity culture that were very defined uh, separate kind of ideas of what a biblical man is and what a biblical woman is. And she narrates her experience in that and beginning mm. to um, deconstruct that, not because she became some uh, sort of uh, neo-pagan witch, but because she actually <laughs> read scripture. Uh, if there's any yeah. neo-pagan witches out there listening, uh, God bless you. You don't have uh, biblical manhood, womanhood issues, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But Amy, Amy just read scripture and discern things with her church. And this book is about what happened to her as she called her tradition to greater fidelity and yeah. repentance. Um, it's, it's really a, a fascinating and in some ways heart-wrenching story. Yeah. Yes. And we get into um, it a bit here with her. Yeah, we do. We do. We get into a bit. Um, I'm really grateful for her uh, voice and her um, experience and her willingness to share it. Totally, it's very illuminating. Yeah, and the she's church. A, uh, she's a baller. Yeah. Like the yeah, the courage she's, she's had in the face of Ugh. what has been um, all kinds of yeah. character assassination and slander yeah. and just awful. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been uh, received 100 uh, percent with. Uh, you know, repentance and, uh, mm-hmm. great and gratefulness. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, we get into it. Uh, her book is, um, what was it again? Recovering, Recovering from, from biblical manhood and womanhood. Yeah. yeah. This is Amy Bird. Amy Bird, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be on. Yeah, Amy is a uh, author, speaker, blogger, uh, writer, former coffee shop owner, <laughs> and uh, also a podcast co-host uh, uh, in the Mortification of Spin podcast. Um, Amy, that's maybe some of the stuff that occupies your time, but uh, what, what else do we need to know about you? Give us a brief introduction to who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm not doing the podcast anymore. I was on it for seven years, though, I think, wow. around that amount of time. But um, so I'm at that stage in life where I've been married for 23 years. I've got, you know, two daughters in college. Um, and that awkward, like, how do you parent 18 and 21 year olds? And <laughs> I also have a son in high school. He's a sophomore. So, um, you know, it's it's a fun, busy humbling time of life. I had a lot more confidence parenting younger children, Um, Mm. but they're great. It's great to see them growing into the um, 
young adults that they are. Um, and so, yeah, I've written five books and I've had the opportunity from my writing to be able to go around and speak at different churches, um, different events and retreats and conferences. And what a blessing that has been because you just realize how, you know, in one end, how little your own little world is, um, how blessed you can be by seeing how God's working all over the place in his church. But then you also see how common our, our, our problems are in the church. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's really helped me. I mean, you know, I think that's one of the biggest parts of my quote unquote research is hmm. just being with other Christians um, all over the place. So I, I feel um, you know, honored to be, to be able to have done that. It's, odd flying somewhere and thinking that people actually want to hear you <laughs> like that but then you yeah. you do see that oh, okay i'm the one that was really blessed by the, this whole thing and it's pretty awesome right that's great that is awesome um you know you mentioned some of the problems that maybe we experience locally but then you you travel around you see everybody everybody else deals with them too this is one mm-hmm. of the reasons why we are invited you on the podcast we're doing this series about power and about mm-hmm. how um particularly women and people of color, um, how they experience power in the church and how gender and race play into that. You've written a book. Uh, the title is Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, and in this book, you describe, like just like the title says, how you have had to deal with some of the messiness mm-hmm. that was in your story about biblical manhood and womanhood. I, I wonder if you could start, don't start at the beginning, jump in at a really important place and tell us, like, um, did you grow up in the church? Was was biblical manhood and womanhood always a part of your story? And then when did it begin to not work for you anymore? <laughs> oh, good question. Yeah, I grew up in the church. Um, I'm a Presbyterian right now, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Um, you know, we were regular tenders. My family definitely, you know, we prayed before our meals. I got good prayer habits before you know, before bed, uh, Christian morality, um, and a high, um, high trust in God's word, um, being truthful and inerrant and all of that. So I felt like, you know, I had some really good bones given to me in my childhood. Um, and yet I didn't realize my family wasn't a conventional family. And in some senses, my dad was, um, in the secret service and he also taught martial arts from our home. So, um, and it was me and my brother and my sister. So my brother was sandwiched between the two girls. And, you know, we were always included in all of that. Um, mm. My brother definitely ended up being the more serious student of, <laughs> out of us. But the expectations were always, and, and the opportunities were always the same for us. So um, I never thought about uh, being less as a woman or any kind of power plays or anything like that yeah. um, in my household. And, um, and there was male leadership in the church, but I don't think we were quite involved enough as a family in the church life for me to really know what the dynamics were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really get as a child, any messages like that. Um, I married really young, right out of college, 21. And, um, that's when I, you know, a couple years before that, I had just really realized how much I, I don't know. Like I say, I'm a Christian <laughs> and yet. Um, I'm not living like one. I, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a couple catchphrases. You know, I wanted to. I had a desire to learn more about who this God is that I say I that I love. 
And um, if I'm going to live my life for him, I, you know, I want to know more about who he is and what, who he says he is in his word. So I got more serious about studying scripture and theology at that time in my life. Um, and so when I got married, we both, my husband and I both came from a, a, from divorced homes. My parents divorced when I was in high school and, and he was 10 when his divorced. So I didn't want to repeat that statistic. Um, so I started getting books from the Christian bookstore, you know, about being a biblical woman and a good wife. I wanted to be a godly wife. And, um, so that's my first exposure to biblical womanhood. And, you know, I got that book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like the Bible for biblical It is. Manhood. And then yeah. I started going, you know, joining women's ministry stuff at the church and um, tons of resources from the Council from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, it's pretty much marketed to women's ministries. So I was saturated in it. Um, didn't even realize all the problems in it or anything like that. Um, until I began writing, really, um, Hmm. and then entering into that culture as a writer. Um, And at this point, I was just naive enough to think that, oh, you know, we could have some differences here, and and I could point out some questions, maybe. Um, And that's when I encountered Hmm. a lot of invisible fences and a lot of friction. Um, Hmm. And then when I got more involved in in speaking and um, podcasting, and conferencing, there was just messages all over the place. And, and um, mm. you try, like, you have to make a decision, I guess. Um, wh- what you'll just look, o- you know, overlook. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we all should be doing, offering grace to others. Um, what you need to actually speak out about and um, uh, what spaces you actually want to be in. <laughs> And uh, visiting other churches and speaking, seeing how many women were struggling with this, just as lay women in the church, wanting to be invested in well as disciples, not getting that type of serious theological investment because they're women, Um, but then being entrusted to lead like women's groups. So they're off to the side, you know, of the church doing their own ministry without being equipped well. And they don't feel like they have any valuable contribution to like the heart of the church. Um, so these were issues that were really starting to weigh heavily on me because it wasn't just a personal thing anymore. So many voices were speaking mm-hmm. out to me. Um, mm-hmm. And and that you know, really bothered me because this is Christ's church mm-hmm. and Christ loves his church, his whole church, <laughs> the women too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in fact, our very presence as women is is a symbol um, of where we're headed collectively as Christ's bride. So, yeah. you know, I wanted to delve into that more theologically. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amy, before we get too far down, maybe some of the ways that this stopped working for you or some of the problems you saw that you kind of talk about in your book, could you maybe give a brief summary of what is biblical manhood and womanhood? Like, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, and what does that mean for women and men? Well, biblical manhood and womanhood—you um, know—when you just take it at face value, you think, "Oh, but this is men and women wanting to be faithful to Scripture." Um, mm-hmm. And the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is really kind of where the term took, you know, flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So yeah, at first you're thinking, yes, I want to be biblical. And yes, you know, part of the reason why they formed and wrote the Danvers statement that they wrote um, was because we had the sexual revolution going on all around us and they wanted to uphold male and female distinction and the beauty of that. And they wanted to uphold something that they call complementarity between the sexes. Um, and they claimed that they wanted to be a voice against what they call evangelical feminism, which um, they would call a, a blurring of the sexes, particularly in a word that they use, roles between men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to speak out against uh, female leadership in churches and in the home uh, and uphold this um, male leadership in the churches and in the home. And they do this by talking about roles. Um, So as defined in their book, I'll read you the two definitions then of mature masculinity and mature femininity. Hmm. Um, At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's different relationships. So as you see, like the mature man, he is potent (laughs) and active and leading, and um, he needs to be leading women. And the, the woman, a mature woman, is parasitic off of that. She is just Mm. to be uh, sitting in a passenger seat puffing the man um basically she has nothing to contribute of her own of value that's feminine Mm -hmm. so um you see how that plays out then you know when i first got recovering biblical manhood and womanhood i read some of you know there's tons of contributors contributors in there ones that i've learned you know a lot from in other areas and i read some of their chapters and you know even the very first chapter, I really uh, stubbed my toe on some of these definitions. <laughs> but I thought, yeah. you know, I'm young. I'm, I'm a new, you know, newly yeah. immature, more Christian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, newly married. So I need to learn, I guess. But then as I started learning more and uh, becoming more experienced in my marriage and just as a woman and a mom I, um, and in the church, then I realized, um, wow, not, not only are these not true, like, you know, some of these statements biblically, but uh, they're really harming the church and the home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's ironic uh, to me a little bit, Amy, that um, that in your desire to learn, um, you ended up sort of learning, learning more than you were supposed to learn as well. <laughs> Right? Exactly. <laughs> you sort of saw behind you know, a curtain like, that I didn't really want to open. Yeah, yeah. So I find that um, ironic, um, maybe beautifully ironic, um, that that there was this such a um, what sounds like such a humble posture on your part to say oh, like, oh, I'm I'm young, I don't probably don't know what I'm doing, I need <laughs> to learn. But then, like the honest pursuit of that learning is what led you to this place of mm-hmm. of actually saying challenging those who were teaching you and saying, "I, you know, I don't. This doesn't square, and this is causing harm." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in in the church and in the home, as you said. I mean, that's a that's a strong indictment. Um, right, I think and I mean, 
there's so many levels to what needed to be challenged. Um, yeah. Most importantly, there is an unorthodox doctrine of God being taught in that book and coming out of that was coming out by their uh, president at the time mm-hmm. uh, of CBMW. Um, teaching yeah. that the son and his very nature, his very essence is subordinate to the father's authority. Yeah. Um, and then translating that somehow then into the male female relationship yep. that women in our very essence are subordinate to male authority. So that's yeah. how you arrive at a definition like they did of mature mm-hmm. femininity. Yes. Um, but, uh, through through heresy to put, to put a, <laughs> and, and it's sad a sharp point on it um you know and to, like officially heresy not like not like no, a yeah. theological blog watchdog heresy where right everything's we're talking heresy. council yeah. of nicaea you know right, we're, we're right. talking this the is, basics yeah, like what every yeah, totally. christian has to confess right. to be a christian yes. um so yeah. it, you know it was very troubling and then their reaction was very troubling hmm. um and you know it's not only you know, anybody who would challenge them, I guess, but a woman directly challenging them goes against their very definition of mature femininity. Right. It's in the book. I mean, yeah, in the book, yeah. John Piper even says that to a point where a woman gives direct or personal guidance to a man, she is offending his God-given masculinity. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is almost the definition of fragility. I mean, I don't want to. Oh go, yeah, I, you, know, you know what I mean. Like, so ironic. I know, it's yeah, really it's hard. Ironic. I know. Yeah, it's really I, ironic. Yeah, it's a work of God's grace in my life. The sixteen and a half jokes I just filtered out, the sarcastic <laughs> ones. Good job. So I just want to give God glory for that. But uh, Amy, I think in your story is one of the pieces why this is so attractive. I think to my friends who um, are were or are still drawn to this way of understanding men and women together. And that's, I want to do this right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can somebody show me how to do this right? And then there's this 600-page book with all these rules and roles and theology about how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think there's well-meaning people wanting to do, be faithful and get it right. And this gives a very, I would say maybe less uh, charitably term here, a very rigid framework mm-hmm. on how to be a woman Mm-hmm. rightly, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but then you began to see holes in it, theological holes, eternal subordination mm-hmm. of the Son. Mm-hmm. But also in your book, the first part of your book is kind of looking at Scripture. Even the last half of your book is looking at Scripture. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, obviously uh, people should get the book and read it, but like, what are, can you remember like one or two stories or narratives of Scripture that began to dislodge this mm. this narrative about biblical womanhood for you? Oh, well, there's so many. But the reason why I approached the first section of my book the way I did, which is recovering the way that we read scripture, is because I think we have, um, there's so many biblicist arguments for their teaching. So Hmm. in that, they're they're parsing pieces of scripture, you know, and saying, you know, we need to follow this to, to the rule, exactly what it says here. But it's not read within like a whole canonical reading of scripture. And so I wanted to kind of get more into that practice again and recover that practice of reading the whole, all of scripture canonically. But then when you look at, when you look at it, um, you know, what does this, what does this mean then in, in, in its reference to where it is in scripture and not only the time in it, in the first audience in which it's written, but um, in conversation with all the rest of the books of scripture. Um, so, you know, 
biblical radical feminists like to say that uh, scripture is a patriarchal construction put together by the most powerful men. And the church balks at this, especially the conservative church. Oh, you know, God loves women, men love women, and that's, that's not the case. Um, but the way that we market our resources in the complementarian churches, uh, the resources that we're using, and the way that we market them separately to women, and then when you look at those resources, uh, how theologically light or full of error that they are, um, we're sending the exact same message that Scripture is so male-centered and so male-authored that mm. you need a special version <laughs> for the women spoken by the women's voice. And so what I wanted to say is, hold up. Um, Yes, scripture is predominantly male authored. However, isn't it amazing then to see in this uh, patriarchal context in which it's written um, that we have the woman's voice peppered throughout scripture. And then when we think about that and and really look at it to see how it functions, um, and I I use Richard Balcom's term gynocentric interruption, which either offends people or... (laughs) Um, make some laugh, which, you know, my husband got a real good kick out of it too and used it. He likes to use vocabulary uh, in the wrong way all the time, you know, for <laughs> jokes. And so gynocentric interruption was used a bit in our household. But um, so he. I, I like your husband. Yeah, he's a cool guy. So most of scripture is androcentric, it's, it's male authored and centered. And, and yet when the female voice comes, it kind of interrupts, it breaks in and yeah. it tells a story behind the story um, that you wouldn't get if you only saw it through male eyes. Um, mm, so yeah. that would makes us pause and think then um, mm. how, how amazing that is and what, what's God saying to the churches in this. Yeah. And, and he's broadening our horizons. So um, as to different stories in Scripture, um, Balcom uses the book of Ruth as kind of a model of how a kind yeah. of centric, you know, that's a whole book that is a gynocentric interruption. And we're getting uh, this story told in narrative form through the eyes of a widow and a Moabite. Um, And what richness do we get from that? What what is Mm -hmm. revealed in that? And he even talks about how at the end of Ruth, you have this, um, it kind of shifts gears and you have this patrilineal genealogy, almost Mm -hmm. like it's cut and pasted there at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, that's meant to jar us a little bit because it's telling us the same facts that we got through the narrative version that was more mm-hmm. feminine. But now um, we're seeing what we miss with just the patrilineal genealogy yeah. and, the, and the, the male point of view. So hmm. that's what I'm trying to do in that section of the book. And I think it's important to, um, to, to talk about those things. So I go through some different women like the, the midwives, Shipra and Pua, um, yeah. or Halda, mm-hmm. the prophetess. Um, there's just so many of them. I love the story of the Canaanite woman who approaches Jesus to yep. heal her daughter. So it's, there's so many, so many of them. And I just think that, you know, by learning a little bit about that and thinking about it, all of a sudden it uh, enhances the way that we read scripture. It enriches mm-hmm. it. It gives us more mm-hmm. as we're reading. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that also enhances the dignity and personhood of woman, which Jesus always does. Yes. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. 
In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I'm thinking about that word. Um, I, I, I live with daughters. Oh, yeah. So and, your uh, life is I'm, a gynocentric interruption. It is. That's what I, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can introduce this term at uh, dinner tonight when, uh, when my biblical masculinity is, uh, is interrupted by you know, one of my daughters needing to say something. No, I'm, <laughs> but you know, when, Sorry, I'm joking. You know, joking aside, when you think about it, the gospel interrupts us, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, it yeah, is interesting sure. to really think about that concept because someone asked me, you know, is that really the best word, interruption? Like, do you really want um, women to be thought of that way? Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Mm. No, I think that's great. I think it is a good, um, a good word. Um, I wonder, um, Amy, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, this, this series that we're doing is on power. And so, you know, You've kind of laid out. Here's what here's what uh, you're recovering from this biblical manhood and womanhood as it's defined in these sources, and then here's you know some of how you've been learning to read scripture and see the the, the enriching aspect of of the of the gynocentric interruptions <laughs> in scripture. Um, I wonder though if you can talk a little bit about you you referenced earlier that the response to your work uh, has been uh, particularly illuminating. Uh, it's maybe a, a very soft way of putting it, um, but I, I wonder if that. I wonder if we can talk about that a little bit because I think that reveals some of what we're talking about. Because we want to talk mm. about these these power dynamics, yeah. and you know, it probably goes without saying, but it's worth saying that um, when you uh, highlight these power dynamics, when you highlight, hey, this is rooted in a heresy. When you highlight uh, the fact that there's maybe a different perspective to look at here, yeah. um, the energy that you're met with sort of reveals the very problem you're critiquing. Right. Right? Yeah. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what has, uh, what's happened um, in, in right. terms of like, what and what you, th- what you think the response to your work reveals about the way that we hold power in the church. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, I just want to um, kind of start that by saying that my book is about discipleship and what lay people can do and should do mm. and how they should be invested in. That's awesome. Um, so it's interesting, you know, one thing that was revealed right away is this challenge to power of leadership in the church when mm-hmm. my book wasn't about who can be ordained and who can lead. Right. That's interesting. So yes. it's automatically met as a challenge to that anyway. Um, yeah. As I'm talking about male and men and women as disciples, brothers and sisters in the church, like that yeah. alone was a, an offense that needed to be um, targeted. And another major um and you know these are there's so many different layers to how the book was you know in the critical reactions um Mm -hmm. another one that is is really i think one of the most disheartening ones of all like besides the abusive stuff um is that the first question is kind of whether or not my book is acceptable you know it's suspect already Mm -hmm. um for for talking about this male-female discipleship in the church and challenging what's been, you know, what we've had to go through in in that, in our experiences. So um, instead of it being looked at as, you know, a contribution, a conversation piece even, 
Or instead of it being looked at as, this is a woman talking about her experience in the church and what she's seen being in Mm -hmm. a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, you know, we should listen to what she has to say here. Um, It's like my voice is not permitted. And that's a major power thing. Um, Diane Langberg has written a really good book on uh, power called Redeeming Power. And she opens it up right away talking about how, you know, to be human is to have power. We're forces. Mm -hmm. And um, to be human is to have a voice. Yes. And um, that is something that continuously gets taken away from me Mm -hmm. in this. And and so even... um, you know, the, the current president of CBMW and then another person, there were two critiques from CBMW. Um, both of them uh, grossly misrepresented my writing mm. and then critiqued it. So right, critique the straw man that they said. Yeah. Up. So yeah. that took away my voice right there. Yep. That took away any power uh, to speak yeah. truth um, yeah. or to have a real conversation of where they they might actually disagree with what I said, <laughs> what I right, wrote, right. You know? actually disagree with the ideas, yeah. right? Which, which is something that ostensibly you would welcome, right? Sure, let's talk about. I've it. had let's a talk lot of, cri- you know, ideas, this is my fifth you know? book. I've dealt with uh-huh. critique, yeah. um, pretty well. Um, yeah, and so that is hard right there um, yeah. because that sends a message to me uh, about what huh. they value and totally. who they value. Yeah. Um, so those, yeah. are, you know, and those are the the softer critiques, you know. And then right. even within my own, you know, I was working for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, doing the podcast and blogging, and I got a list of questions um, from them that I was kind of demanded to answer in regards mm. to my book. Instead of posting a review, there mm. we want to know what you think about these nine things. Wow. Um, mm. Some of them were talked about in my book some of them weren't some of them misrepresented my book the very first question was what is my view on natural theology uh between man and woman in accordance to like male authority and female subordination in our being that was the first question so instead of engaging or even interviewing me (laughs) or uh you know talking about where there may be some differences in my writing um I was given this list of questions from a group of men in power that I didn't know who their names were, except for the one person who hosted it. Um, And then I got uh, let go for not answering them. So, um, Amy, that stinks. I know. I'm so sorry. I know. And I sought uh, counsel from people in my denomination, people who have, you know, worked in these circles. And, um, yeah, so it was kind of, okay, well, I'll move to my own space. And that was kind of nice in some way. I mean, it was very painful, but it was nice in some ways in that um, I had the freedom to have my own voice in my own space. Yeah, It's Um, just crazy to even say that out loud, right? Like, that you... You have to. So, what I'm noticing, Amy, as you're sharing, is that this this uh, this model or this map of what it means to be a man and a woman mm-hmm. is about is is like really about control. And there's this managing too. Yeah, and there's managing and, the and, female voice. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so there's actually, you're right. Like what it means to be human is to have agency, dignity, mm-hmm. a voice, to personhood. have personhood, mm-hmm. to have, like you said uh, in Langbird's book, power. We're interviewing her too in this series. Oh, yay. <laughs> Hers will be way better than mine. <laughs> no, I, it's not a contest. This, yeah, you're, you're tracking right along with it. But so, but, but what you, I mean, I just want to draw out the implications of what you said. It is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. It yes. really is. We are yes. we are marring the image of God when we do this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which this isn't. This is. I mean, it's an. In, I mean, I. I know you're not. We're not saying these people are pagans or they're heathens, mm-hmm. but we need to reckon with the seriousness of of what yeah. we're right. doing here. Well, and I haven't even gotten to the worst worst oh, of gosh. it. You know, those were my normal life having to deal with. Yeah, that's enough critiques. But, but um, you know, for years now, there's been this group that's been um made up of officers in Reformed churches um, mm-hmm. who have been uh, abusive in their language towards me and other women, and men, some men too, uh, but primarily me and two other women, and I've kind of been the focus of their hate for the last couple years. And so when this book came out, um, you know, well, I've just been called... You know, feminist outrage machine, Jezebel, if her husband really loved her, he'd make her shut up. Um, she looks butch in this video. Her femininity is lacking. Why doesn't she go make us a sandwich? Um, you know, they talk wow. about how women don't have the same logic as men. But then it, it escalated to them calling ahead of my speaking engagements, warning churches and oh, wow. conference centers, directors that I am dangerous and guard your families and your churches and plotting to sabotage my Amazon page by only buying like two copies of my book and mailing it to each other and giving one star reviews. I mean, it's just never ending. And um, the hardest part about that is, you know, there's going to be jerks on the internet, but these are church officers and uh, the admins were in my own denomination, the leaders of it. So um, to me, that is just unacceptable um yeah. in the church and yeah. a real problem so there are, yeah. there's trials going on now which has just okay. revealed even more as far as how we view and handle all this stuff um i really think that uh, the way that we treat women shows a lot about our eschatology what we really think about where we're headed hmm. and 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 who we are as christ's bride and um hmm. So, you know, I think the church has a, a lot of reform that needs to happen in oh, this yeah. area. Yeah. 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 I, I'm really sorry to hear about um, all of it, um, but especially that, you know, uh, the abuse of language, all of that kind of thing, you know, um, we can we can say, I mean, there's a lot we could say about, you know, well, you know, that's, we can try to look at it objectively, but th- that kind of stuff just stings, doesn't it? It just oh, yeah. stings. I carry you know it on I mean? my like, back. Personally. They go before yeah. me, behind me. It's all. Yeah, it's, it's such a it's poison such a hard the well, thing. like crazy, you know. Yeah, and it's rank sin, you know, like you said, right. like you know what I mean. Like we can have differences in theology right. when we talk about that, but this is another level, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to, um, I don't know, ask you about the, one of the things that I'm hearing in this is like. The theology that um, that you're challenging mm-hmm. seems to directly lead to the dehumanization mm-hmm. of women, 
right? Yes. As as well intentioned. Let's just say the the most well intentioned. Yeah, I don't think like it's the person who. Of most. Yeah, right. They just they 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 just think this is what the Bible says. This is what we need to do. This is going to bring about human flourishing. Here mm-hmm. we go. Let's do this. But in when a woman wants to speak, when a woman wants to be a human, when a woman <laughs> wants to use her voice, they have no way of actually receiving your voice. They have no way of receiving a woman's voice as a human voice. And so it, it sort of is this revelation of the, the fact that this doesn't work. This theology doesn't work for humans. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, impossible for women to actually be honored if you need to hold to these things. Their stated uh, intentions don't match their governing decisions. Yes. So, right. Um, right. And, you know, I've, I've really seen this in a painful way in trying to yeah. confront abuse in the church because yes i mean i've been the subject of verbal uh, abuse that's, and yeah, spiritual abuse so yeah. um in trying to confront it in a godly way um sure you know i think the worst part is uh the silence of those who have the power to do something who don't yeah. use their power to mm-hmm. um to help right and, and um but then, so there's a neglect of, of use of power that people have that they should be using, and that's abusive. Um, and then yeah, uh, yeah. this whole idea of, you know, I, I never thought in terms of power until I was abused by it. And, yeah. and yes. you know, and, and, and that's the frustrating part because I'm told that I'm trying to usurp male authority and and I'm not I don't and I, I'm actually part of a denomination that upholds male ordination for qualified men and I'm not challenging any of that um, I'm talking about what the rest of the 98 percent of us in the church can do and um, and should do and have the honor and responsibility uh, uh, towards one another but um, yeah so the fact that now that I'm dealing with this, I'm having to think a lot more about power. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. Diane Langberg, you know, her writing has been very helpful because mm-hmm. she centers it on, you, this is about power. And yes. I didn't want to use power language, honestly, just because of accusations that have come against me or how a lot of like liberation the- theologians use power language, you know, yeah. you kind of want to separate yourself from that. Yeah. Um, and so... But at the same time, she's 100% right. And, and so I just thought more about um, how we think about power. And I listened to this uh, podcast randomly that I don't know if I'd ever even listened to it before, but there was this psychiatrist on there talking about power dynamics. Mm-hmm. And she said that um, you know, every relationship has power dynamics in it. And we never really think much about, um, we always think so top down, hierarchy hierarchical about power but um everyone holds power like just ask uh, you're just look at a two-year-old the power that they have over a household you know yes. mm-hmm. um and she talks about being in a uh being in a setting in a counseling setting where the one member of the family was severely depressed and suicidal mm-hmm. and it seemed like that person had no power but really they had all the power of dynamics in that room because they moved everyone in that family to act for them yeah um mm-hmm. So she talks about the proper relationship between power and vulnerability, which is what Diane Langberg does as well. And um, she talks about how, you know, to build real trust and um, to be, you know, truly beneficial and using our power that each one of us has, 
um, in a God-glorifying way, is that we're to empower, we're to give power to others. We're to use our power to serve, to give, to give of ourselves. That's what Jesus does. Um, And and instead, what we see so much is this exercising of power over, power over people and taking others' power. And, And you just think, that is ungodly. Yes. Yes. That's unchristian. It's, it's yeah. a, yes, it's yeah. actually the opposite of what Jesus says to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, he even says in Matthew 21, like, the first must be last. You know, you, mm-hmm. you look at the leaders of this world, they're all mm-hmm. about their authority. Um, that's not so with us. Right. It's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. It shall not be so among you. It, it shall not, not be so, be so yeah. among you. Yes. And that, that I think is... Um, there's two things that I'm noticing here. One is that there is that impulse to control. Um, more and more, I'm seeing it. It's it's all rooted in fear. fear People are so yes. afraid of losing control and what that might mean, mm-hmm. and what their vulnerability might mean. Um, but. Uh, I appreciate people who are doing work like you're doing, Amy, because I think the more that we can cast vision for the beauty mm. of mutuality mm. and the beauty of communion mm. with each other, the more people might be willing to let go of that fear and say, you know what, it might be better for me if I wasn't in charge and controlling people. It might be better for me if I could be vulnerable, if I could experience communion and mutuality with other humans. Yeah. Maybe that would be better. Mm-hmm. And so, man, it, yeah, even it, the way that we think about mutuality, um, you know, I'm all for holding up distinction. I think that's beautiful, too. But mm-hmm. um, mutuality is we're all called to self-sacrifice mm-hmm. in yes. love, to give. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And yeah. and to hold one another's honor and dignity, <laughs> personhood. Yes. And, yes. you know, I think what's driven my writing um, for discipleship is very eschatological eschatological and very confessional and that uh Mm. when i say the apostles creed and say that i believe in the communion of the saints Mm -hmm. and life everlasting i -hmm. really do yeah so what does that look like now and you know we're eternal beings and how are we shaping ourselves yes yeah yep as willard dallas willard uh used to say um you are you're living your eternal life Hmm. Like it, you know. You might as well get started. Yeah. You know, with with the kind of person you want to be forever. So yeah. Yeah. You know, what we do has eternal value. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Amy, as we wind down here, I just parenthetically want to say we've had, uh, we've we're in we're into the hundreds now of of podcasts. Okay. You are mm-hmm. one of the more theologically conservative guests we've had on our podcast. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not even kidding. And yeah, uh, it's true. And yeah. um, and I just it's it's flabbergasting to me that you could be seen as like this wolf in sheep's clothing or this Jezebel. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it, it just goes to show that we're not talking about uh, principled disagreement here. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, we're talking yeah. about... Um, Which is healthy. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I think that's... I've heard you state a number of times, I'd love it if you just disagreed with me and we could have a conversation <laughs> about this. Yeah. yeah. Which than, I've had some good ones. That's great. I have had some that's good, good ones, yeah. That's good. That's great. I wonder maybe on the other side of biblical manhood, womanhood, a couple times you've said, uh, I'm not saying that men and women are the same or there's no distinction, um, mm. but but this is these are the two ditches that I think a lot of Christians are in. Yeah. It's either we have these rigid roles that are mm-hmm. rooted in sort of this patriarchal understanding of biblicist interpretation, or yeah. um, it, there we don't know how to talk about masculine and feminine. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, leaving the safety of CBMW mm-hmm. for the Wild West of anything goes, <laughs> yeah. right? How have you navigated that? Yeah. And what are some of the ways that you feel like you're living into faithfulness there? Mm. I'm still learning um, for sure. But I have a much more theological approach to it. And I think that uh, Pope John Paul II has done great work in his theology of the body and, and some other stuff he's written. Um, and I'm with him that our bodies mm-hmm. are symbols um, pointing to something. And so um, I, you know, I think it starts, we've got the, um, the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. <laughs> and we've got the great prophets, and you know, and Jeremiah and Hosea and Ezekiel talking in terms of bridal and wedding analogies between God and Israel. And then uh, we have Paul telling us in Ephesians, like he's interpreting creation for us, saying like, this is the great mystery. It's, it's about Christ's love for his church. And um, then right smack in the middle of our Bibles, we have the Song of Songs. And I think that enfleshes the whole meta narrative of scripture. That's what I'm doing my next book on. Um, but, you know, in creation, man is hmm. made from the dirt um, and he's created first. And a lot of complementarians like to say, yes, women was created second. That means she's subordinate to man. Um, I don't I don't interpret it that way. I, I interpret it, man has to sacrifice for this woman. He, he doesn't even see his own personhood yet. Uh, that's why none of these animals are cutting it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has no mm-hmm. personhood and re- reciprocity. He, he can't give of himself to them in the same way. Um, so mm-hmm. he has to be put down. Uh, and, and woman is made from man, you know, part of his body. Yeah. Um, she's not made from the dirt. And so when he sees woman, what does he see? But uh, the whole gospel picture right there of the bride flowing from Christ's side, it's a beautiful picture. She's created second as his glory. She's created second because she's an eschatological marker. And her whole body kind of tells that story of sacred space to which we're headed. And hmm. uh, the Song of Songs, really, the imagery and, and the, the metaphors and the biblical allusions and echoes in there. I mean, I just think we're telling beautiful stories with our bodies and our our whole body, soul, mind. So. Um, for me, that distinction is very important, and it's gloriously beautiful, and it's mm. pointing to where we're headed. And so, uh, this this order of love too. Christ is the bridegroom; he is the mm. lover. Um, mm. Man is to model that. He's the first to give, the first to sacrifice, the yes. first to mm. love. Um, the bride is the beloved, and she wears that love and fructifies that love and reciprocates that love back and then it's dynamic and fruitful um mm. and it's moving and growing mm. all right have, have you read sarah <laughs> sumner have you read sarah sumner's book yes yeah i, yeah. Have, I haven't read yeah. her whole book no but i have her. reminds me of some of how she talks about uh the ephesians 5 passage and mm-hmm. that kind of thing it was really eye-opening for me i read it uh, years ago but anyway yeah. thought to mention it Thanks maybe we'll put it in the show notes yeah, <laughs> yeah. amy uh, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing part of your story. The book, again, is yeah. called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, and you've just referenced a few times that you 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 write. I know you have a website. Why don't you plug your pluggables for us and let us know where we can find you <laughs> online? Okay, uh, amybird.com. It's spelled A-I-M-E-E-B-Y-R-D. Um, okay. That's my blog space now. I'm on Twitter at um, amybirdhwt is my handle. And those are the main places you'll probably see me interacting. I'm doing 
some YouTube videos with Mike Bird now, which are kind of fun. Uh, Birds <laughs> of a Feather. <laughs> there it is. That's great. Mike Bird's awesome, by the way. He's a awesome, great scholar. And he's a fun guy, too. He's fun. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay, so Birds of a Feather YouTube videos. Uh, you can check that out. Yeah, we and... just started. Cool. All right. <laughs> that's fun. Amy, mm-hmm. bless you. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Yes, thanks. It's been an honor. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.